Riverdale, it is such an honor to be with you here this morning. Uh, as Carl said before, my name is Ray, and I am the campus pastor at our Brussels campus. Uh, and it's, it's just so great to bring the message to you this morning. Uh, you might not notice, uh, but Riverdale and Brussels have quite a number of things in common. Uh, I was kind of reflecting on that this week, and I was thinking about uh, some folks that have been kind of grown up and, and raised up in your campus. I think specifically of Brian and Ashley Van Vranken, uh, two people who are absolutely just killing it in ministry at the moment in Brussels. Uh, you may or may not notice they just had their baby boy Henry, uh, and so praise the Lord for that. Uh, and so the Lord has just been so good to them, so good to us, and we are so deeply thankful for your faithfulness in discipling them and in sending them out. Uh, you've sent out your, your best, and that's what we do when we live sent here at LifePoint, and so we thank you for that. Uh, I think of some other people uh, that are part of your campus that, um, yeah, we have been the beneficiaries of. I think uh, specifically, again, of Abby Jones. I see her right there, and uh, she came over and, and was with us for, for about three months, and uh, the way that she came and poured into uh, people in Brussels there, I believe that uh, she's going to be there in a couple of weeks already going back and, and reconnecting with the people that she, uh, she connected when uh, she was there. I believe also uh, that there are a couple of uh, focus boys around somewhere, uh, you know, causing trouble, no doubt, at Pavlos. I, I see you. I can spot you anywhere, buddy. Uh, and so we are, we are thankful for, for them. Of course, uh, as Kyle said before, uh, I am incredibly thankful for Kyle and Amy. Guys, you have got some great leaders. You've got a great pastor in, in Kyle. Well, what you may not know, uh, you, you, I'm sure you do know that uh, they planted the church there in Brussels. But what you may not know uh, is that Kyle baptized me over 11 years ago. And so uh, it's kind of come full circle a little bit here. Um, and so it's, a, it's truly an honor to, to preach to you. Uh, and I hope that uh, I can honor the, the calling of the pulpit here today. Thank you, Kyle, for trusting me in the pulpit. Well, uh, we are in our second last week of our series, By Faith. Uh, and we have been journeying uh, through the hall of faith. Uh, and last week, we, we saw, uh, that, uh, we saw the, the faith of Stephen. Uh, and we saw him, the first martyr, a man whose faith was fueled with his courage, right? So his courage was fueled by his faith. Uh, and today we're going to turn our attention to the person who most likely wrote the book of Hebrews. He's not in the Hall of Faith, but he most likely wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, it was most likely a sermon, uh, and one of his followers uh, transcribed that and wrote that down. Uh, we're talking, of course, of Paul, uh, also known as Saul of Tarsus. Now, Saul was born in a bustling city. The Tarsus was a bustling city in the southwest region of what we know as, as Turkey. Uh, you know, uh, Brussels, you know, Brussels, it has its chocolate and its beer industry. Uh, well, I believe that Smyrna Murfreesboro, you guys have got, uh, I, I, say, I say Nissan. Okay, is that how you guys say it? I know that sometimes it's pronounced differently. The Nissan factory. Um, <laughs> But ta yeah, Nissan, yeah, thanks. I was saying it wrong. Uh, Tarsus, though, 
had a like thriving goat hair textile industry. Uh, and this was often used in the making of like tents and things like that. And that's where young Saul learned how to make tents under the tutelage of his father. Now, his father was a man of faith. He was a Pharisee. Uh, Pharisees were people who were like strict adherents to God's law. Uh, and of course, as a Pharisee, Saul would have been steeped steeped in the stories of Israel's history. He would have grown up uh, thinking of stories like Phineas. Now Phineas, uh, he uh, impaled an Israelite man and a Moabite woman who were committing ludicrous immoral acts in front of Moses and the entire Israelite congregation. Paul or Saul would have thought also of people like David. You know, David, who by faith uh, with a small stone uh, killed Goliath, a giant of a man, a Philistine, uh, and severed the giant's head and brought it to King Saul. He would have been acquainted with Elijah, who, who personally put to death hundreds of false prophets people who were leading the Israelites astray and luring them to the false gods of the Gentiles. You know, these would have formed Saul's identity. These would have been fundamental to him growing up, and he would have had a passion to follow in their footsteps. You know, Saul devoted himself to the study of Scripture you know, and he became more and more uh, certain that the awaited kingdom would arrive for those who passionately upheld the law, those who studied and treaded the path of the Old Testament. Now, imagine Saul's dismay when he would have come across uh, a rogue, a, a, a man who was spouting uh, new teachings from a renegade rabbi named Jesus. Now, Stephen, our martyr from last week, he dared to assert that the temple, the temple being the very heart and soul and worship of the Israelite people, it was not meant to be permanent. It was meant to point to someone. It was meant to point to someone, someone even greater who was yet to come. And that someone, according to Stephen, was Jesus in which the fullness of God dwelt. See, Saul stood there and he gladly took in the sight of the men stoning Stephen. In his mind, this is Saul's chance. Saul's standing there thinking, hey, this is my chance to be the next Phineas. It's my chance to be the next David. He was determined to quell these rebellious Christians. And this personal crusade led him all the way from Jerusalem to Damascus. And somewhere along that journey, he was blinded by a light. He was blinded by a dazzling light that left him sprawling on the ground. And a voice echoed, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And we know it was Jesus. And it was in an instant that Saul, the persecutor, became Saul, the follower. 
Saul the fool. For three days, for three days, Saul was blind, guided only by others to the home of Ananias. And it was Ananias who laid hands on him and healed him, restoring his sight. But right before Ananias met Saul, God revealed something to Saul. He revealed something to him in a vision. And we see this uh, in Acts 9.15. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. See, Saul was transformed from a man who realized that now Israel's true need was redemption through the gospel. The gospel, the same Saul who once admired tales of Israelites, of men uh, condemning and, and, and uh killing and defeating Gentiles now became a humble servant and deliverer of them, of the Gentiles. The script was flipped. It was this change that led Saul to embrace the Greek version of his name, right? Paul. Now, Paul was a planner of churches. He was a pastor. He was a missionary. And in his life, he endured physical abuse. He endured imprisonment. He endured, ultimately, death for his belief of the gospel. See, that further, that further that once drew him, led him to persecute people in the name of the law, that was now deeply rooted in the faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul wrote letters or epistles uh, to the churches he helped establish. And one of those letters, the letter that we, we heard uh, read out before, is the letter to the Colossians. And this is where we are today in Colossians 3, 16 to 17. See, for Paul, zeal was a defining feature of true faith. He longed for God's people to embrace this same zeal, this same deep passion and enthusiasm. See, becoming a believer didn't dampen Paul's zeal. It didn't dampen it. It was instead transformed and redeemed. So to be faithful men and women, to be like those heroes of faith that we've discussed throughout this series, our faith must give rise to a a holy zeal, folks, a fervor for glorifying Christ in all all that we do, in all that we do. So if we're going to share in Paul's zeal, we need to understand what he was fervently passionate about, don't we? So today we're going to see three things. We're going to see three things. Firstly, we're going to see that Paul had zeal for the word. He had zeal for the word. Then we're going to see that Paul had zeal for worship. And then finally, we're going to see that Paul had zeal for the name. So firstly, let's look today at Paul's zeal for the word. And let's look uh, to the first part of Colossians 3.16, which says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Paul was intensely dedicated to God's word. 
intensely dedicated. Both the Old Testament and the sayings of Jesus, which were being circulated around uh, the Christians and new believers uh, around that time. And Paul understood that zealous faith can only, only be grounded in God's word and that we have to be full of it to be overflowing with it, right? We have to be full of it to be overflowing with it. You know, this is actually uh, this is actually my second time in Tennessee. Uh, I, I, I the first time I was here, I preached at Stewart's Creek campus. I'm sorry, guys. I know that uh, you're probably intensely sad about that, but I'm here today. Okay, I'm here today. Uh, but you know, there are some things here that are legitimately quite incredible, incredible to me. Now, I'm not Belgian. Uh, well, actually, I'm now. I've got citizenship now. But uh, I am Australian. You, know, you can probably hear it in my voice. But one of the things that I was like astounded by the first time I came, and including this time, was the fact that you could go to a Starbucks and there was a drive-through to get your coffees, and not just one drive-through, two lanes to get your coffee. I, I, for me, this was incredible. You should have seen the look on my face when I told someone this. I was like. There's a drive-through for Starbucks. They're like, yeah. Well, you can also do your banking like that. I mean, I was just like, <laughs> a drive-through bank. What is this? What is this? Well, you know, living in Brussels, this is just so unthinkable. This is so unthinkable. I mean, to be fair, for most restaurants and banks, there aren't even parking lots that you can park in. Uh, this is just something so different for me. So. You know, what I was thinking about, why is that? Why is that? And I think what I see here so, that's so unique is that there is a certain pursuit for convenience here. There's a certain pursuit for convenience. And I, I think even in many of us who call ourselves Christians seem to seek convenience above all else. We want Jesus to soothe us. We want our church to cater to our needs. We want uh, our desire for obedience to be straightforward. You know, even as a pastor, sometimes we want quick outcomes. We, we rely on quick tactics to kind of win people over. And that feels easier than trusting in God. We are a people who are in love with convenience. Yet Paul tells us that we should dwell deeply in God's word. We should dwell deeply in God's word. We should allow it to rest within us. Paul was a man who pondered God's word day and night. And even when he was locked in, in prison, he didn't just sit and, and fret and, and think about, oh, I wish I was back at home. I, I wish I was back at home on my comfortable sofa, you know, watching Netflix. No, he prayed and he sang psalms to God. When faced with hardships, Paul stood firm in his faith. He was nourished by the richness of Christ's words. You see, suffering has a way, has a way of revealing our true selves. It has a way of peeling away the layers and showing, it shows what we truly think, what we truly feel, what we truly believe. But reading the Bible, memorizing scripture, 
shaping our lives around it, listening to sermons, following the guidance of, of Kyle, of our, of our spiritual elders. See, we're stockpiling spiritual nourishment. We're stockpiling this spiritual wealth in our lives. Now, the effects may not be obvious, maybe, maybe not today, but when you encounter a, a period of, of suffering, a period of pain, in this spiritual richness, it will sustain you. It will sustain you. Each verse or passage we memorize and contemplate adds to our spiritual richness in Christ's words. So today, we need to ask ourselves, what are we filling ourselves with? What are we filling ourselves with? Are we filling ourselves with God's word? And this leads me to my next point today, which is that we should be filling and filled with the zeal, with a zeal for worship, with a zeal for worship. So Paul continues in Colossians 3.16. Let's read. So following on from the last verse, it said, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You know, Paul's writings often communicate a sense of community, community. You know, uh, often there's an emphasis not on, on me, but an emphasis on we. You know, listening to the latest LifePoint worship, that's great. That's great to do that. It's great to listen, it, uh, listen to it in your car. But you know what's even better? It's great to sing it and listen to it together. Reading scripture in the quiet of your morning, that is a blessing. But reading it alongside others elevates the experience. Praying before you sleep, that's a sacred act. But praying together, that's even more powerful. See, Paul understood that the Christian journey is one to be shared. It's one to be shared. From the moment Paul sought to follow Christ, he sought out community. He sought out community. He connected with disciples in every city that he visited. Go back through his epistles. You will see this. In Acts, he goes and seeks out the believers in each city. The sense of community is essential for a zealous faith. See, when we sing together, we remind ourselves of gospel truth. We remind ourselves of, this, of, of the truth. You know, when we gather here, we reinforce the belief that we are not, we are not misguided. Indeed, we remind ourselves that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord and we are his people. Victory is ours. Death is not the final chapter. Sin has been overcome and Jesus will return. Alone, we may lose sight of these truths, but together they are etched in our collective memories. See, uh, I was thinking about this. Uh, you know, my, my wife and I, you know, we have this habit. I bet some of you guys have this too, where, you know, where, where, where kind of things come up during the day. You know, like, oh, I've got to do this. I've got to water the plants. 
I got an RSVP for that party on Saturday. You know, I, I, I got to pay a bill. And you know what I do? I don't put it down in my notes app. You know what I do? I text my wife. I text my wife. I'm like, Catherine, remind me to pay the bill this, uh, this evening. Remind me to water the plants. You know, however, as the day progresses, you know, the messages kind of like pile up and pile up and pile up, you know, and we're, we're offering wondering, have we missed anything crucial? Have I forgotten something? But in the same way, we rely on the church to help us remember what is essential for our spiritual journey. We, we just like text reminders, the church keeps us committed and mindful of our, of our faith commitments. Folks, you've got a job to help grow the faith of the person sitting next to you. You've got a responsibility to help walk with them. It's your responsibility to encourage them, to remind them of the truths of God. It's your task to lift up your voice in worship, not just for yourself, but for the person next to you. Don't just close your eyes and sing to God. Yes, there are moments for that, but open them. Look around you and sing for the sake of your church family. See, Paul's words to the Colossians remind us that we're not just singing for ourselves. We're singing for each other. We're singing for each other. The truths that we sing about, they're not just for us, but they're for our fellow believers. See, being full of zeal for our faith remains, uh, means we stand firm on God's word. We stand firm on God's word and we're strengthened by the fellowship of God's people. And that gives us the ability for the third thing that we'll talk about today, which is being zealous for the name. So let's look over at Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. It says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. You know, uh, uh, this is kind of embarrassing, but uh, the other day, you know, I was kind of talking to one of the pastors here at LifePoint and I was kind of like, you know, I'm a bit of an outsider in some ways here. I was kind of asking, I'm like, you know, why is Camp Whatever called Camp Whatever? That's very confusing to me. I was like, this seems like a very like casual and like nonchalant way of like naming your foremost student outreach program. <laughs> you know, I can kind of imagine like Heath around with some of the other like student leaders and just being like, what should we call it? I don't know, whatever. Uh, it's called Camp Whatever. Uh, but, but this is the verse. This is the verse that Camp Whatever points to. It's Colossians chapter 3, 17. Whatever we do, whatever we do, we do it in the name of Jesus. We do it through him and for him. Paul was zealous to see Jesus proclaimed to everyone. You know, we're told that Nero, it was Nero who ended Paul's life. But why, why, why would Paul want to stand before Caesar? Why would he want to stand before Nero? He had to know that telling Caesar something like, guess what? You're not the king. You're not the king. You know, 
There is a king and his name is Jesus. He had to know that was playing with fire. Yet, when was filled with zeal for Jesus and dedicated to doing everything in his name, well, it reshapes how we see our choices. It reshapes everything about us. See, Paul wasn't ultimately scared of Nero's blade. He wasn't scared of Nero's blade. What he was scared of was the thought of keeping quiet about Jesus. How could he not shout out about Jesus from the rooftops? It didn't make sense to him. The book of Acts shows us that from the moment he turned his life around, Paul was on a mission to talk about Jesus. Every person he met was going to hear about Jesus Christ and what Jesus had done for him. In Brussels, um, we have a ministry called Coffee to Go. Called Coffee to Go. Uh, it's, a, it's a university ministry. We, we have it on, we've got two university campuses that are just opposite uh, our Brussels campus. Uh, I, I believe that you guys do something pretty similar here at MTSU. And essentially what it is, is a table is set up kind of somewhere on the university grounds and, and people will walk by and they'll see a question written down and we'll give them a coffee uh, and then we'll be able to engage them with a thoughtful conversation about the gospel. But in a country that is less than 1% Bible-believing evangelical, the people that we have conversations with, man, they think we're nuts. They think that we are out of our minds. They're like, tell me more about this Jesus. This is a very quaint philosophy here. I've never heard of this man before. But who cares if they think we're nuts? Who cares? We shouldn't be worried about pleasing men. Paul tells the Galatians the same thing. We aren't disciples trying to please men. We do what we do to please God. When I do everything for the sake of Christ, I start making choices that puzzle others. I start sacrificing some of my vacation time to go to camp and pour into kids. I'd rather stretch my budget the one day offering, uh, the one day mission offering, supporting all our global ministries, rather than putting it towards a Tesla. I could even pack everything that I own up and move to the favelas in Brazil if it means that Jesus' name will be praised more. The choices of Christians can seem strange to the world, but that's because our faith stirs up a fire in us. This zeal to make everything about the glory of Jesus Christ. Whether you are a stay-at-home mom, whether you are a teacher, perhaps you're a factory worker, maybe you're a real estate agent, we do it all for the glory of Jesus, to spread the good news of Jesus. See, Paul's life was being transformed from being a Jesus hater to be a Jesus lover. It's from being passionate about the law to being passionate about the gospel. From the moment Paul accepted Christ, his life, his zeal centered around one thing and one thing only, the name of Jesus. So ask yourself this. 
What's at the heart of your life? Folks, what is your whatever? For someone sitting here today, your whatever is knowing the Jesus that we've been talking about here today. You know, perhaps you're sitting here thinking, man, I don't know this Jesus like you're talking about this Jesus. I just don't know him. And folks, here's the great part. You can. You can. You know, if if that's you here today, I implore you, do not leave this room without having spoken to someone. I think Kyle is obviously a great person to speak to. There are deacons down the front here. Speak to them. The whatever for many of us today might be a call to say that Jesus is Lord. For other folks here today, their whatever is to start tithing, maybe to start giving. You know, the Lord has called us to come to him in all things, all things. And that includes our generosity and our love for him. You know, perhaps you've given almost everything over to the Lord, but you're holding back in one area. Maybe you're holding back in your generosity. Well, let me tell you today, don't, don't. Let me tell you from personal experience that when you give all things over to Christ, man, he will do amazing things in you. He will grow in you in a way that you never expected. Be zealous in your giving. And perhaps that is your whatever today. Finally, for for some folks today, and we saw this before, they knew their whatever was to get baptized. Guys, you have shown zeal like Paul's shown zeal. You got ready, you stood before us today, and you got baptized in front of your church. You are proclaiming to us. You are saying to us, I will fight and I will stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I will tell everyone that Jesus is Lord. Your zeal, your whatever is for him and him alone. Listen, today, everyone, everyone here has a whatever. Perhaps you don't even know what that is for you today but you're needing guidance. Maybe you're needing counsel. Maybe you're needing help. Well, I'd ask that you open up and help, uh, let people help you with that. You know, you guys, you got connect cards there. Drop something down on that. Drop it in the tithing box. Give it to Kyle. Uh, Let us help you. We're going to have folks up here that are ready to be with you, ready to pray with you if you need that. They're here. Everyone has a whatever. So what is your whatever today? Now let's share in Paul's zeal for faith. Let's share in that. Let's pray as we close out. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your unending grace. Lord, we thank you for the gift of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask that... You stir up within us a holy zeal, a passionate desire to serve you in every aspect of our lives. Help us to put your glory above our own comfort, to choose, to choose your kingdom, Lord, your kingdom over the attractions of this world. As Paul was transformed by your love, let ours also be transformed by your redeeming power. Lord, we thank you for the community of believers that you have placed in us. 
Lord, may we build each other up. Lord, let us remind each other of your truth, especially when the world seems to, Lord, seems to forget. But help us to be rich in your word, to dwell in us, so that in times of trouble, Lord, that we can lean on it for strength, for spiritual richness, for nourishment. As we go about our daily tasks, may we do them in your name and in your glory, remembering always that we serve a risen Savior, a great Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.